Welcome to the AFIRE podcast. Logistics is a fundamental infrastructure element that supports and changes so much of our world. And yet, in normal times, unless you are explicitly in the logistics business, it is easy to overlook. In the time of COVID-19, it's impossible for anyone to look away from logistics and the global supply chain and how it's changing so much so quickly. I'm talking today with Melinda McLaughlin, the Vice President of Research at Prologis, to get a deeper view of what's happening in logistics now. So thank you, Melinda, for joining me on the AFIRE podcast. Very happy to be here. Thank you. You wrote a fantastic piece in the August issue of AFIRE Summit, really looking at supply, demand, what is happening now because of COVID-19 and what is likely to happen going forward. My first question to you really is, how has COVID-19 impacted our, uh, let's say, decades-long economic expansion and the even more complicated, and it seems like it's getting more complicated every year, global supply chain? Great question. I think it's the the million-dollar, billion-dollar one. Um, Well, firstly, when I take a step back, I like to say, you know, COVID-19 was not a game changer, but it was a tremendous accelerant for the structural trends already underway for logistics real estate and these global supply chains. So there are a few examples of that. Um, One, of course, e-commerce, fast growing for obvious reasons prior to the pandemic. When you're under a lockdown situation, I think the ability to get goods delivered direct to your home becomes even more crucial. Um, And, you know, the vast majority of customers um, for logistics real estate also served those essential goods anyway. So on the demand side, we saw a clear accelerant in e-fulfillment needs and operations. On the supply side, as you would expect, given the increased risk perception, we did see a pretty um, clear response from the development community as far as decreasing speculative starts in the second quarter, you know, both in in response to the increased uncertainty in the economic climate, but also, you know, out of necessity. You know, we had many areas where construction was shut down, um, simply not allowed as an essential business. You know, up to 40 percent of the European logistics market um, had six to eight weeks where construction was not allowed. And in the U.S., um, we had at the peak about four states and a handful of municipalities. But we did see construction obviously become a lot more difficult, um, tough to get labor to the site high absenteeism, people struggling with childcare duties, and then you have to implement a range of safety protocols at the same time that supply chains were disrupted. So we saw material shortages um, coming through uh, the, the disruption that began in China. So, you know, clear tailwind to demand on the e-commerce side. My group's been studying this dynamic for um, over five years now. And for every dollar you spend online versus offline, you use about three times the logistics space. It's the only place you're generating revenue from. And so when you go under lockdown, um, that shift, you know, happened almost overnight where all of a sudden customers that had had a different balance of in-store to online sales um, 
started to see, you know, multiples of the, the online sales activity that they were used to normally um, contending with. So, so tremendous difference in supply chain needs there in a time period where, yes, we had had, you know, a full construction pipeline heading into this, uh, this disruption. Still, you know, a lot of pre-leasing and build-to-suit activity in that pipeline. So I would say in aggregate, still pretty low risk, but it was, you know, a long cycle a lot of great returns and and development had increased. Looking forward, you know, we're definitely going to see the amount of voice out there for customers in terms of these new deliveries coming online decrease as developers pulled back on those spec starts. Um, so those are two two clear areas that the the pandemic um, affected. But there's there's a range of more when you start to think about global supply chains. Um, the other trend that was accelerated by the pandemic is this heightened focus on risk management. Um, I think a lot of people think that COVID was a game changer there, and it certainly upped the stakes and upped the urgency. But we started to see a lot of customers starting to hold more inventory with the onset of these trade tensions. So when you think about the arc of risk management in the supply chain, you know, we, we've had global, you know, complex global supply chains for some time, and they ha always had disruptions, but they tended to be localized. Um, it would be a natural disaster here or a port strike there, something fairly easy to work around. Um, when you talk about an entire trade relationship and the, you know, volatility of the flow of goods, as well as, you know, the potential cost implications, those types of disruptions are a lot harder to, to move around. And so, uh, I'll start with Europe. You know, the year after Brexit in the UK was the strongest year for logistics real estate demand. Um, we did see a lot of customers there start to hold higher amounts of inventory within customer or sorry, within country borders in order to fulfill consumer demand and avoid those types of disruptions. Um, additionally, in the US, um, after the imposition of US-China tariffs, it was the second strongest year for net absorption in the cycle. And could have been the strongest if vacancy rates weren't so low. Um, so this is something we had already seen happening. And you, so you're going from localized disruptions to sort of big trade relationship disruptions to a full global disruption. <laughs> and so you can see how the, the urgency and the uh, risk calculations can, can change from that. And so it really pulled this idea of retooling your supply chain for resilience just in case rather than just in time. Um, it really pulled it to the forefront of many supply chain managers' minds. And what we hear customers talk about today is um, increasing inventory, domestic inventory levels, you know, five to up to 15%, depending on your industry. I'd love to get a sense of scale in terms of where we were before, in terms of perhaps how much was happening on, you know, how much of consumer purchases were happening online versus uh, versus in, in stores and sticks and bricks and, and what it looks like now. Uh, how much of a scale difference are we seeing? So again, it depends on your industry vertical, but we, <laughs> We've seen broadly um, essentially about five years of e-commerce adoption compressed into the time of five weeks where, you know, what we were expecting and, and customers were expecting to happen over three to five years really got all pushed into 2020. And that, you know, varies significantly, again, by your industry vertical. So prior to the crisis, 
I'll do headline numbers first. And, and the way we tend to look at this is as a proportion of goods. So excluding food services, um, legit or sorry, e-commerce sales represented about 15% of retail goods sold in the U.S. Um, by year end, it'll be almost 20. Um, so between 19 and 20. And that originally was supposed to be, you know, roughly 200 basis points less. Um, so there was always a... a a strong forecast for e-commerce adoption growth, but you pulled forward, you know, two to 300 basis points of that adoption into one year. For, I would say one of the most dramatic areas of change, uh, grocery, that really looked like one to 2% online sales per year, very low penetration. Um, certainly we saw um, really rapid change during uh, lockdown where it was 12 to 15%. And frankly, if they had had more capacity, it probably would have been higher um, online sales generation. Now, that's not what customers are going to plan for long-term. You don't keep 100% of that. There will be behavior that returns closer to pre-pandemic norms. But what they are planning for today is probably in the realm of 6 to 8%. That's still, you know, a 3x multiple, multiple of where they were before um, and potentially greater. Given that we've kind of had this five-year accelerated into five weeks uh, behavior change, what should, what should logistics players be doing? How is the supply chain going to change, not just now in terms of the period of disruption, but going forward, how do you think these things will adapt? So I like to think about these supply chain changes uh, holistically. And when we think about 2020, there, there are a good amount of customer industries that are, are pausing or, you know, a good segment that are active and really trying to meet today's demand, but not necessarily planning with a 10-year horizon, more trying to satisfy what they need today. When we think about emerging from the crisis and some of this fog dissipates and you have more certainty to make your three to five to 10 year leasing decisions, it's not like we'll be having one person arguing for e-fulfillment and one for um, robust inventory levels. It's all going to happen at once. And so I think there'll be a few things. One, more aggregate demand generally, both e-fulfillment and higher inventory carry are tremendous tailwinds for logistics demand. Um, we we ran the numbers and what we're seeing as a base case over the next you know couple of years in terms of additional demand from these structural trends totals 400 million square feet or more. So on top of what we were already expecting simply because this has been pulled forward. So I think one, it'll be a very competitive environment. We've already talked about the fact that you know there's likely to be less um, speculative supply coming online in 2021. So, you know, I would plan for, you know, a lot of competition for existing availabilities, particularly in the markets um, and some markets that are very close to um, end consumers. So a high amount of um, income, high density, large population centers, areas that typically have the highest barriers to new supply. So again, these are markets that entering this crisis, we're at historically low vacancy rates. And, you know, exiting the crisis, you'll have additional service level needs um, that you'll need to build into the way you've designed your supply chain that really build on that proximity. So direct to consumer delivery necessitates 
that proximity to end consumers. So one, I do think we'll see a lot of demand spread throughout all the stages of the supply chain. Um, but I think where we'll see the most change is really in that, that last leg where you get close to end consumers because you can satisfy both. If you're adding additional um, last touch capabilities at the end of your supply chain, you are holding more inventory throughout the entire thing. So I think because you can get kind of double the bang for your buck in those areas, that's where we'll see a lot of demand concentrated. Although I do um, think given the sheer volume of these tail uh, demand tailwinds that it could be spread out throughout locations. What are you concerned about? I mean, certainly you're 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 making a very strong case for a, a really significant increase in demand and great opportunity for both existing portfolios and and development on a go forward basis. What could go wrong? What are you worried about? So, you know, the third thing that the predated the pandemic was logistics real estate was the consensus overweight. Uh, heading into this crisis. We had had a, a really good run building on these structural tailwinds. Um, and the fact that, you know, a lot of the the barriers to new supply had been rising, even broadly um, with, you know, regulations and just a lack of land, especially for today's newer, larger, more modern product. Because of the pandemic, uh, the secret's out even more. So, so we are seeing a lot of capital interest at the same time that in other commercial real estate property types, they might be facing uh, more substantial challenges. So I think the reallocation of capital is something I'm watching really closely and how that ultimately translates into uh, development trends. So that's something that I think is a little bit beyond um, the next four quarters, let's say, but it's definitely something um, we're, we're going to watch. I think that's why, you know, understanding the customer how they're configuring their supply chain and the markets and locations that both fulfill their needs and, you know, might have higher barriers to supply are really important from the investor perspective. So I'm wondering, what do you think is the exciting opportunity that comes from this crisis and this challenge of compressing five years of development into five weeks? What are you excited about happening? What good do you think will come of this? Well, a prior life, I did consulting. I did all property types, um, including niche and, you know, really went broad but shallow. And so committing to moving over to Prologis and committing to a single property type, I was a little concerned I was going to get bored. And that has absolutely not been the case. Um for the past five years, but also I think even more so today, we're on the cusp of so much change. Uh, and the way supply chains have really moved to the forefront as far as being a competitive advantage for our customers, the way that they really are looking at those um, supply chains, their location strategies, using them to their advantage, you know, I find that incredibly exciting. And as we look forward, you know, we'll not only see um, all the, the pivots you need to make to to operate in the new post-COVID normal, um, where we have higher e-fulfillment operations, where our supply chains are more resilient. 
But I, I think there's a ton of technology under development now that will be incorporated into these operations and allow those capabilities to be enhanced even further. So I think it's an incredibly exciting, dynamic time um, to be in this space. And, you know, I'm really looking forward to working side by side with my colleagues, our investors, our customers, and trying to figure out how to incorporate all of that change into the strategy of the future. So, Melinda, what do you think investors in the logistics space should focus on? What should they be aware of in the coming years? Taking the lens of the, the customer and trying to see these logistics facilities in the, the broader ecosystem, you know, not just of supply chains, but of the economy. And there are two, two angles where I think having a deeper understanding can really come, come to bear and will change location strategies going forward, performance outcomes, as well as building design. The first is, you know, the impact on people. Logistics real estate has been a really substantial job creator over the past, um, given the the rise in e-commerce in particular, which is very labor intensive. But what we hear from customers is that labor is their top pain point. And so, really taking a closer look, understanding uh, labor conditions around facilities, um, both to, to make sure you're doing your due diligence, but also, you know, looking at ways of investing in communities and making sure there is ample kind of a sustainable source of labor going forward. Something Prologis specifically is very focused on, but I find that aspect is often, you know, passed over, not really given the attention it deserves. Um, and speaking of, you know, sustainability, I think the way we can use these facilities through which a tremendous amount of economic activity passes um, to drive forward the goals of, you know, sustainable um, energy usage, whether it's through solar, electrification of the vehicle force, you know, I think that's going to be a factor in the modern facilities that customers ultimately prefer going forward. So, you know, we've talked a lot about resiliency. And when I think about a true resilient location strategy, it, it needs to take into account not just um, inventories, not just efficiency, not just location, not just, you know, all the pieces you need to run a successful operation, but all of those things. So supply chains are incredibly complex. Logistics real estate can be incredibly complex, but it is so fascinating. So I think really trying to, to go the extra step to understand kind of these long-term forces, especially during such a, uh, such a tumultuous time as the one we're in, um, can really pay dividends for the future. Well, thank you, Melinda. Uh, really fascinating things to think about and to chew on as we consider the logistics uh, portfolios that many of our investors uh, currently have or wish to have in the years to come. I encourage everyone to take a look at your article, uh, Supply, Demand, Stay at Home, in the August issue of Summit. Uh, and thank you, Melinda, for joining us on the podcast. Thank you. And before we close out this podcast, I wanted to make sure we took some time to thank our underwriters, Prologis, JLL, and Holland Partners, who make it possible for AFIRE to provide programming such as these podcasts. Thank you. This podcast is produced by AFIRE, the Association for International Real Estate Investors focused on commercial property in the United States. AFIRE is not engaged in providing tax, accounting, or legal advice through this podcast. None of the content is to be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any asset. 
Some information included in this podcast may have been obtained from third-party sources considered to be reliable, though AFIRE is not responsible for guaranteeing the accuracy of third-party information. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of its respective contributors and sources and do not necessarily reflect those of AFIRE. This is Gunnar Branson from the AFIRE podcast. Thank you for listening.